Science. Welcome to Probably Science. My name is Andy Wood. Seated next to me is Matt Kirschen. Hey, we're on the road again, Andy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we this traveled is... a whole seven or so miles across LA. What for LA? That's like that's like road impossible. Tripping. You're like yeah, yeah, like I don't know what we're even doing here. What is this? We are like, out we're in a different city. We are out in Pasadena, near the home of uh, Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Why are we there, Andy? No reason. No reason. Complete coincidence. Uh, we are at the home of uh, JPL Systems Engineer Farah Alibay. Yeah. Well, Thank you so much for. <laughs> hey, thanks for and having. This is not Pasadena, by the way. We're, in We're not in Pasadena. Oh, okay, no, almost. Helen Park. Sorry. Come on. Okay. Much, much better area. <laughs> I should know. Like this yeah. is a pretty. This is cool. This is a cool area. Yeah, this yeah. is the yeah, cool yeah, yeah, yeah. hipster area. Okay. How close like, to Pasadena? are What we? it sort of means is that it was a really shitty area about five years <laughs> right, ago. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Gentrification. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then about? rocket scientists started moving in and the whole place goes yeah, to... Yeah, actually, there's like three of us on the street. I'm not kidding. <laughs> really? One of my friends lives up the street like a quarter mile and then there's this like JPL scientist who like has this mansion. It's this huge house, but they bought it like, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah. And and he owns a Tesla and I hate him because <laughs> he has a Tesla. <laughs> right. How many Teslas are there in the JPL parking lot? Uh, quite a bit. Well, so we don't earn that much money, right? And Teslas aren't cheap. Um, but even like given that there's still like I'd say like a good 10 or 15 which parking lot do you reckon has more Teslas out of you and SpaceX SpaceX because we get a discount oh okay that makes sense but we'll see once and then I was really jealous I have friends at SpaceX when the new Tesla came out and you could sign up for like to be on the wait list oh like the sort of mid-range semi-affordable one they got to sign up to be on the wait list three days before anyone else but Yeah, those SpaceX. Smug. Would you do the 35... It's $35,000, right? Is that the the low-end Tesla that's coming out? No, everyone's going to have one. I want the fancy one. Okay, so it's not even about the practicality of having an electric car. It's like you want the status. (laughs) I want an electric car, but not... I said that I'd buy an electric car the day that I can go from here to San Francisco on one charge. That's Um, a good good, uh, milestone. With my Mini, I can do it in half a tank, so I don't... Wait, What? Yeah. No, yeah. that's almost that's four hundred miles. Yeah, you get eight hundred miles to the tank well, in your mini. Like it's like two thirds of a tank, probably. It's but it's less than a tank. Mil- oh yeah, no, oh. I don't stop. I do it. Yeah. Damn. I don't know what I do, but it's really light. There's, yeah, yeah. Know. I just didn't realize they were that fuel efficient. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I would go if if they get one down to like twenty grand. That's not going to happen anytime soon. There's no possible way. If it was like well, you know, like no car for twenty grand, like you're buying. Even, What's that? You can't buy a car for twenty grand. Yeah, you can. I think you can get like a Civic, can't you? No. No, I haven't bought like... a new car in twenty years. No, like or even ever. like even my Mini New is about twenty four. So, oh, okay. And then that's without anything. I feel like George Bush, uh, George H. W. Bush, when he went in a grocery store at, during like the ninety two campaign. On like how much milk is? Yeah, he just had no, and he saw them scanning items with like the, uh, you know, with, oh, and he yeah. was he I was amazed even... at it, showing he'd never been in a grocery store. He's like, oh look at this, fancy. It's like I've been around for like five or ten years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that was by that point he'd been. This was he'd been president, or this was when he was going for president. Uh, he, he was running for re-election. I think That's he right. had been president for four years and he was, was so out of touch. He'd never he? seen. Yeah, and he was yeah. vice president beforehand for eight years. Right. So out of the last thirty-six of the CIA years, we, we've only had a couple years, and we haven't had a Bush that's either been 
president or uh, vice president, or Bush or Clinton as president or vice president for the last 36 years. Well, this year is going to happen, man. Yeah, <laughs> finally. <laughs> finally, we're going to have... How did we get down this road? Uh, Tesla. I don't know. Let's go okay, back to yeah. JPL because we've, <laughs> we've got someone who actually knows what they're talking about. Yeah, yeah. How long have you been at JPL? Um, two and, and a half years. And where were you before that? Um, so I did my undergrad master's at Cambridge, England. Yeah. And then, yeah. Which college? Trinity. Nice. Only the best one. I don't know which one you went to. I was at Claire. Oh, okay. We were neighbors. Yep. Except um, we were there at completely different times. Correct. And you actually did the work and did well. I did okay. Yeah, right. I guess. You guys aren't going to... We're not going to hear the fight song? Well, no. Trinity's that's a lot American better. And so. What? That's an American thing. We don't have fight songs. Come on. Let's hear the Cambridge fight song. <laughs> this this is, we don't like, have anything. That was something that blew my mind. Like, I, I love that every American college has like... You don't oh, have McGuffin, any... McGuffin. Rah, rah, rah. Gotta have some songs. There's no way you guys don't have some songs. No, I don't think so. Drinking I mean, like, songs. There's like chance like for like when you because I did I rode and so like there's like that. What's stuff, the rowing song? I don't know. It wasn't a song. I don't even remember what it was. But I remember us like screaming stuff. But it's not okay. real. Um, and then I did my PhD at MIT. So other Cambridge. Right. Oh yeah. yeah. Double Cambridge. Yeah. 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 And your PhD was in space systems engineering. That makes sense. What's the uh, what's the placement rate for people that graduate with that major as far as getting actual space related jobs? Uh, you mean like, is it is it a pretty sure thing if you get that degree you're gonna get to work in? Because I mean there aren't that many there aren't that many jobs, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty well, tough... so I feel like um, like if you get a PhD, then yeah, sure, because there's only okay, yeah. like yeah, there's how many people graduate a year like from MIT, right? And then undergrad, so. At Cambridge, I didn't do space. I yeah. did, like, air breathing propulsion stuff. Um, so out of that, I'd say, like, half will go into, like, engineering and half of them sell their soul and then they'll go work for some investment banking mm-hmm. company. Cause right. It's just that. like a, using your degree as proof of yeah. aptitude. Yeah. At least they'll do that for a little while, realize they hate their lives, and then come back to doing something reasonable. Ah. Um, or, like, I have friends who did that and now they're, like, teaching or doing something completely different, mm-hmm. right? Um at MIT, I'd say like the undergrads that do aerospace is maybe about a hundred a year, and I want to say that maybe three quarters of them go in aerospace. There's enough jobs. Yeah, okay. There's, there's a lot, um, you know, because there's NASA, and then there's all the commercial industries, right? Like Boeing, and so yeah, it just sounds on the surface like it can't be a thing you can just get a major and then go do. It's like studying to be a ninja or a rock star or something. <laughs> yeah, but there's not that many people that study it, right? Right, like, right, right, right. Schools. By the way, there are schools that teach both of those things. Right, that's true. <laughs> What's their placement rate? How many professional ninjas come out of the uh, North Hollywood Ninja Academy? Yeah, I didn't like didn't John Bon Jovi go to rock star school? He might have. That's, that's true. <laughs> yeah, like he had rich parents and they sent him to. Are you kidding? Are you serious? No, I'm absolutely oh. serious. So oh, like God. he had rich parents know. and he got sent to like, and he he went to like be a rock star academy. Well, there is like the school of rock, the thing that was that that existed before the movie, the Paul Green School of Rock, and they do a pretty amazing job of like teaching kids to play, like they can you know twelve year olds that can like shred Rush songs and stuff, but I, they don't teach you like Sorry. stage crap. Oh, I don't know. Maybe they do. I don't know. They're, yeah. Okay. <laughs> So you can learn to be a ninja or a rock star or uh, a space yeah. systems. Well, an aerospace engineer. Aerospace engineer. <laughs> so two and a half years at JPL. Mm-hmm. What's the highlight been so far project-wise? Oh, I don't know. I've done a lot of things that haven't flown in space yet. It takes forever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I think that I've worked on like three major projects since I joined. So one was um, called Marco, um, which was a CubeSat. I think you saw it when you came to visit. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Was I still building it back then? I can't Probably. remember. So what's a CubeSat? Okay, so a CubeSat is a um, it's a very small satellite. It's about this, the size of a, like a big cereal box. Um, uh-huh. So and it's called a CubeSat because originally it's like in universities they used to build. The, that's where the idea for them started, and they were ten by ten by ten centimeter cubes. Um, so that was, and then you can stack them to make like a ten by ten, but ten by thirty by ten. Or in the case of Marco, there's a 10 by 20 by 10. So it's like a six, what they call I a six. We've talked about set. this before where universities and research institutes can, for a fairly reasonable amount of money, just buy a small cube that they can yep. send a science project up yeah. on. Yeah, and now like even high schools have started doing it. I mean, when I went to high school, we had nothing. But apparently now you can build satellites in high school. But How much do they cost about? To mean well, payload wise? So- you know, it depends on what you're doing, right? So if you're doing university stuff or high school, you'll get stuff off the shelf. I mean, you can easily... Most of the cost of building things in aerospace isn't so much the component as the people, right? Yeah, okay. So, um, but with this, because it's off the shelf, I mean, people will, like, buy Arduino, like, computers and put them in and fly them. So it, it can be fairly cheap. Like, you can be talking about thousands of dollars or something. That's and awesome. then... I think the cost of launching things to space is about right now about ten thousand dollars a kilogram. Um, so how do, heavy is each of those cubes in um, the smallest so unit? So the one U typically what they say is a one U is about one point three kilogram, and then like a three U is about five or six kilogram. Okay. And the six U is about fourteen, twelve to fourteen. So, um, but what NASA does is actually they have free launches to space now that they'll oh. give universities and and high schools because what happens is when you send stuff to space there's usually extra space as in you're, you're never really filling up your rocket so there's really always a I would have thought that with the opposite yeah. I thought like that's the thing well, that's the most primary but yes they do their best at optimizing it and it'll optimize the fuel but when you're talking about like a one ton or one and a half ton spacecraft what's an extra 10 kilogram right like they always have margin because what you'll do is you'll design your spacecraft and then you'll build your rockets your rocket has a particular capacity and then the amount of fuel tells you how fast you can get places. Uh, but when you build your rocket, when you build your spacecraft, you will always keep margin, right? Right. And so, but you you tend to use it up, but there's always a little bit left, and so mm-hmm. there's always there's always spare space. Um, so that's what they do. And they'll just they, donate that to worthy. Well, so University if it's a projects. NASA mission, then they can just allocate it somewhere else because it's all the same money. And then the way that we launch other spacecraft now is actually commercial entities will sell off like space on the rocket so it's actually become like a business model well they'll say like oh sometimes it's margin or sometimes they'll just say no we're gonna keep 50 kilograms and sell it to you for this price and usually it's like a little bit they make a little bit more money on the kilogram rate but that's how it works that's pretty amazing so so a university a group of university kids or even high school kids yeah, with yeah. enough time on their hands and enough intention can get something in space for just a few cheap. thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cheap. Yeah, if you get the free launch and then, yeah, you're just talking about buying. Now, if you're, you're trying to do something a little bit more complex, you may be talking about $100,000, $200,000, but still. And, yeah. and they, they do vet what the projects are. You can't just be like, what happens to a frog? <laughs> Well, they do, right? It's competitive, and so they do. And then, you know, it depends on who they're targeting. And, for example, when I was in grad school, I worked on a CubeSat that was probably closer to, like, the million-dollar mark, which is still really cheap for For space, a single 10 by 10? It was a, a 10 by 10 by 30. But still, um, wow. It might have been cheaper than that. I'm not entirely sure, but um, but that was going to do... Um, uh, what was it going to do? Microwave... 
Well, it was going to basically going to look at um, tornadoes and uh, not tornadoes, hurricanes. Okay. Um, but I should know what it was going to do. It's been a long time. <laughs> I don't think anybody listening is going to hold you accountable. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> one of my my grad school teachers listens, and they're like, she didn't know what she was doing. Yeah. Let's, let's take that degree away. Like Dan. See, I'd like I'd like to know what happened. You know those kind of fortune telling fish. Oh yeah, that curl up in your hand. Yeah, like yeah. I would, I'd like to know what like space does to one of those. Well, sure. so here's another outrageous project I did. So one of the other things that NASA offers is they let you um, go on the vomit comet. You guys have heard of that? Yeah, we have talked about this on the show before because we're trying to work out a way to get on one of those. Oh, things. we had you know, Mary Mary Roach who wrote well, Packing for Mars was okay. on our show recently, and she was saying it's it's doable because there's extra space sometimes with uh, teams that. Well, if you're media, yeah, it's yeah, really easy. You... Just like find a way to have a media, pa- yeah. It's it's funny. Well, so what we did is I didn't. So NASA again offers you know for students mm-hmm. you can fly your experiment. But in my case, it was like the fiftieth year of Apollo back in two thousand ten. Okay, right? that would be that right. sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. Um, because yeah, Kennedy two thousand nine. Yeah. yeah, And then MIT chartered, they didn't do it through NASA, they did it through the Zero-G company, and they chartered a whole plane as part of like the celebration. Like Neil Armstrong came out to, to MIT, really nice guy. Um, awesome. Buzz Andrew, not so much. Oh, uh, See, I've, <laughs> met, I've met Buzz. I've never... He's very interesting. <laughs> yeah. I told you about meeting uh, Buzz yeah, Aldrin. Yeah, I, I forgot what the... Well, was he lives it? in LA. Yeah, and he, he, was on, he was on the Nerdist show. The, the TV show that was that was I was on the taping I yeah, was oh, yeah you were there for the taping yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah but I was I was backstage and I met him and I went like I went hey I'm on the episode I'm I'm the comedian on the show and he went you're a comedian like that was like, the whole <laughs> and then he insulted my friend's hair like that was oh, oh I had a good bus story he once went on a double date with my friend <laughs> how old's your friend <laughs> no as in so my friend is what um thirty five ish so he, we work together and him and Buzz are friends because. I don't know. They did work together. He he's actually still pretty involved in the aerospace. Oh, okay. Actually, one of my friends was like his assistant for a summer, which is like he has all sorts of stories. Mm-hmm. Um, but my friend Damon um, had a date with this girl, and Puzz was like, "Oh, I know it'll be great. I'll come with you, and I'll bring my girlfriend." Apparently, <laughs> the date didn't go so well. <laughs> was it like a first date? I don't. I don't think so. But I don't think. I think it was like one or two dates in like it was that's that kind of it's definitely like a weird okay cupid move so you're like all right i'll meet you at this bar at eight o'clock i'll be wearing a blue shirt and have buzz aldrin with me <laughs> <laughs> i'll yeah. i'll be the one accompanied by the guy who walks on the moon <laughs> by the way uh i've never been so delighted to be insulted by someone like oh, uh, yeah like, as far, it's, it's like, like don rickles like you want him to like yeah, thank you like, buzz aldrin as thank much you. as like oh that was kind of weird it was still like oh that was kind of weird from a guy who's walked on the moon yeah. I still shook the hand of someone who's touched the moon <laughs> As yeah as weird as he is it's kind of like you can't really get mad at him just, yeah I, I'm I now two just... degrees of separation well one degree of separation from the moon like that's is that how it works sure, it's like Kevin Bacon for the moon yeah that's yeah. exactly how like, <laughs> you're now two degrees of separation from the moon I'm so close to the moon <laughs> I was in the same room as him yeah I, I think I'm one degree by the way I'm the same I'm the same number of degrees of separation from the moon as Michael Collins <laughs> for oh, Michael that's Collins harsh. that's yes. harsh well yeah yeah that's true right yeah yeah, yeah. that's uh, man uh, so much work went into that career just to be the the guy uh, the double parked out in space, yeah. and, and he outranked Buzz. That's the thing that blew my mind. Like he, because well, it was most, it was more important to have a higher. Uh, yeah, yeah, Buzz was yeah. the lowest ranked yeah, person you, on the but, mission. But you needed you need someone high up to be the one that's still because that's that it's way important. back. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. 
He's still got to be like the furthest away from humanity from as anyone ever. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point because he um, went to the around. Because yeah, when he's on the far side, he's as far away from any other human as it's possible to be. Yeah, so they called him the loneliest man in the universe or something. So yeah. Well, he's not the only one because mm-hmm. every Apollo mission after. That's true. That's been that same position on the other but, missions. But it's sad that we haven't gone any further. Maybe. Yeah, and it's been like forty years since the last person, which has been a lot of. Like, that's what Buzz Aldrin seems to spend half his time doing, I think. Like, whenever you see a photo yep. of him, he's wearing a Mars t-shirt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but hopefully, hopefully the next... Well, the mission I'm working on would send astronauts back to deep space in 2026, 2027. Well, let's oh, talk really? about that. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I work on ARM, which is the asteroid redirect mission. Um, and ARM is made up of two submissions... ARM, like Space Pirate, um, which is A-R-R-M, which is the Asteroid Robotic Redirect Mission. And then there's ARKIM, which they don't like us calling it ARKIM because of the connotation of the asylum. Mm-hmm. Um, that's A-R-C-M. And that's the human part of it. So um, basically the mission does what it says, which is like, it's ridiculous, but we are going to launch a spacecraft, go to an asteroid, grab a boulder. And when I say boulder, it's about 20 tons, so bigger than this house. Um, and then we're going to do something called a gravity tractor, <laughs> um, which basically what we're doing is we're using the combined mass of the spacecraft and the boulder together to deflect the path of the asteroid, right? So it's just Newton's second law. So basically, you know, you, you have a force on the Earth as much as the Earth pulls on you, but you're so small compared to the force of uh-huh. the Earth that you're not deflecting it. Mm-hmm. But if your mass is something like even a thousandth of the mass of something of another object you can have an influence on its path just from your gravity and if that influence acts for long enough it can actually make a notable difference to the path yeah and actually well and also so there's different ways of deflecting asteroids right and so you can do like the armageddon way of just impacting it blow it up you can paint it and have solar pressure help push it oh um but if you know that an asteroid is coming to impact earth you know from with you know 10 or 20 years heads up you can go there change its trajectory ever so slightly but a very small change in your trajectory when it propagates over 20 years can mean that makes a difference between hitting the earth and not hitting it yeah and it's very accurate and so the idea is that we want we're going to an asteroid that you know it's not going to impact us even if we mess up the tractor it's not going to come anywhere near us but the idea is we can demonstrate it and then measure the change and then prove that we're able to do that so that in the future we can protect you guys but then once that's done, we come back to lunar orbit, and we're going to come back to a retrograde lunar orbit with the with the boulder, and then astronauts are going to go there to mine the boulder and then come back. Yep. <laughs> how, how big's the thing that we're going to get into lunar orbit? Uh, so it's uh, twenty tons, oh, that's, about that's, six that's... meter diameter. Okay. So what with the gravity? With the gravity, if you're an astronaut on that boulder. Would the gravity be even detectable? Or you're would- not, and that's no. You're not landing. You're docking, right? right. So that's the difference: is mm-hmm. that you're not. And then even when we send the spacecraft to the asteroid, I mean, Osiris Rex is going to do a smaller version of this, where it's doing an asteroid sample return, right? Um, and it's launching this year. Next What's year. it called? I don't, I don't know about. Oh, Osiris Rex. Osiris Rex. Um, yeah. It's a non-JPL mission. I think it's Goddard. Um, although MIT had an instrument on it. Um, that's going to an asteroid and doing a small sample return. So it'll be just a handful of stuff. Um, but whenever we go to asteroids, the gravity is so low that we just, it's more like docking. You yeah. Don't, you don't land. So yeah. the, the actual technique to break off the boulder from the asteroid is going to be what? Um, it looks like, have you ever played those arcade games where they have like the claw that comes down? Yeah. That's pretty much what it looks like. Really? And that'll break it? <laughs> yeah. Well, so the idea is that the, well, their understanding is because gravity is so 
is that because there isn't much gravity, the places that we're expecting to go, it's kind of like loose rock formations. So we could just basically it's like oh, picking okay. up a okay. rock, so you're not really breaking it. Uh, but the so this asteroid, rather than just being like a solid lump, is almost like a, just a collection of well, all the, big some rock. of the ones that we're looking at are like Itokawa, which is like the the where Hayabusa went which was the Japanese mission uh, we're not going there but that was one of the example targets where it's actually like a, a full asteroid but they they see like they see boulders and they know enough about the boulders to know that they're, they're fairly loose I guess right um, okay but, and then the way that they grab it is they have something called microspine grippers that we use have you guys ever seen the the robots that climb walls Mm, I don't think so. Are using using what? Uh, like, so they use like little oh, using these grippers. Like, yeah. They're like um, I think there's like a JPL video about them. But anyway, um, so these hooks that they use for these robots we're actually going to use to grab onto the um, onto the asteroid. They're like hundreds of little hooks that sort of like mesh to the shape, and then they like okay, in. sort of like yeah. a gecko's pad, maybe kind, kind of. of yeah. I, I yeah. Don't know. yeah, that's actually what they compare it to. So oh, okay, <laughs> yes, space. <laughs> The, so they yeah. already have an idea of which asteroid, or they just know the size yeah, range? So of- right now, our target is 2008 EV5, um, which don't ask me how asteroids are named. I think that means that it's like it discovered in 2008, and then like somewhat, something has to do with... If I actually knew what it was, someone's explained it to me before. You can pretty much... It's like the fifth asteroid to be discovered that quarter or something. I don't know. Uh-huh. Something like that. But um, So it's an asteroid that's in a similar orbit to that of the the earth around the sun so it's not that far and Um, so it'll also stay roughly in the same place in the sky relative uh, to us no because it's it's in a slightly different orbit um so it crosses our orbit every Uh so often but um but we're phased differently so so it does move away from us a little bit and then comes back towards us right so um so it's not always close by but in a fairly predictable fashion um hopefully yes um so the we've only observed it once i think so we or maybe twice. So we know the ephemeris, which is like its trajectory, mm-hmm. but we don't know if it's for sure that it's not evolving in a certain way. But but right. we fa- vaguely know where it is. Also, can you... is th- Like, I don't know what the timescale of this is, but isn't there a risk that between launching, from, launching the thing from Earth and it getting to where the asteroid should be, that asteroid has interacted with other bodies and changed paths? Uh, hopefully not. Um, so the idea is that we we know enough about the close by asteroids to know how their orbits evolve. Um, right. So unless there was something that we don't see coming that comes and disturbs the path, we, we, it's fairly predictable over tens of years. But again, that asteroid is our current target. It might change. Um, right. So we're designed to arrange the targets. And the idea is if we find something more interesting um, up until one year before launch, currently we're launching in 2021, um, we can change asteroids. Uh, and can you even... Will the vehicle be able to change? I presume the vehicle has the ability to change its trajectory to an extent once it's launched. Yeah, but it's less um, fuel efficient. So we're using solar electric propulsion. Um, So we're using ion thrusters to do this. Mm -hmm. So um, like Star Trek ion propulsion. So how do they work? What is an ion thruster and how does it? Okay, so we're using a hull thruster. (laughs) Oh God, do I know this? (laughs) All right, so so essentially you're using electricity, right? So... uh, Typical propulsion, you're burning stuff. Right. right? Comes out the back, 
and then you move forward. Um, so, but really, it's not the burning process that gives you the, it's the coming out the back that pushes you forward, right? right? So um, what we do uh, with um, ion propulsion is that we accelerate xenon across a cathode. So you'll have a positive and a negative, a set of positive and negative plates. And so as you go through, as the xenon goes through the positive plate, it loses an electron. No, opposite way around. So, right, so it has to be positive and gets attracted to, yeah, so losing an electron is accelerated towards the, because it becomes positive, it's accelerated towards the negative plate and out the back. And so that how it, that's how it works. Right. Um, so, but the difference between chemical and, and electric propulsion is that electric propulsion has a much lower thrust. So the thruster is actually, you can imagine it's kind of like blowing on a piece of paper. That's how little thrust you get. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea is that you thrust for a very long time. So typically with chemical propulsion, we'll do a burn for a few minutes, a few hours at most, right? right. Like Juno, when it got into orbit around Jupiter last week, it did a, I think it was like a 30 minute burn, right? With electric propulsion, you're looking at burning for days at a time. Like literally as we go to this asteroid, we're gonna be accelerating for 200 days. So, so again, it's that idea of just you can get up to a really high speed because there's no resistance yeah. and you're just very, very gradually accelerating over exactly. an extremely long amount. So it's a lot more fuel efficient that way. So you can carry a lot ma- more mass. Right. Um, because the amount of... Um, so the, what we call the ISP is... A, a, basically, it's the amount of mass that you need per for acceleration is much higher for those types of propellants. How much xenon do you take, like how big the fuel tanks? Uh, five tons, I think. So it's not and that's small. Lo- but that's low compared to what it would be if it was like liquid fuel? Uh, we couldn't do it with chemical propulsion. Yeah. It, it just like, it would be impossible to bring back a 20-ton boulder. It's just, yeah. it, because it's, it's all exponential, right? So you'd end up with, yeah, okay. ridiculous. There was a question. Yeah, that was the thing. I remember like sort of the rocket equation just part of the problem in general with rockets is the bigger and heavier and faster you need it to go, the more fuel you need, mm-hmm. but the more fuel you need, that's more weight. The more, more fuel you need to, to carry your own self. To yeah, yeah. There's, an, self. there's an exponential term in there that, and then that screws you over. There was some part of it I didn't... I, I, I was uh, working on a part of the How to Build Everything show yeah. when I had to learn about ion thrusters and there was a part of it was like, wait, this part seems like magic and now I'm trying to remember which part didn't oh. make sense. So you expect me to know things. <laughs> Maybe it's the fact that uh, like once they've passed through that plate, shouldn't they also be attracted back to it again, sort of negating the thrust oh. that it... But I know that has that neutralizing gun that shoots out next to it. There was something that yeah, didn't make sense and, and I forgot what it was. And it depends on whether it's a hull thruster or... or yeah. Yeah, and see, it's not like my area of specialty. I know yeah. enough to be able to say like, hey, this is vaguely how it works and it glows blue. Um, yeah, I've seen the pictures of it glowing blue. It looks pretty cool. It looks very like Star Trek, yeah. The, um, and actually, the thruster that we're actually using, they were testing in the TVAC chamber. Oh, so it's a thermal vacuum chamber. So it's, uh-huh. so we, yeah, it's at the right temperature and there's no um, atmosphere. Um, and they were testing that a couple of weeks ago. So it was pretty cool. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, so what is it you actually do on a day-to-day basis at JPL? Oh, God. It depends on the day. Okay. <laughs> so systems engineers kind of like, I say jack of all trade and like master of none because like, um, so the idea right, is that you, so typically a systems engineer will get all the subsystem folks to agree with each other. So when you build a spacecraft, um, you'll have someone who's like really good at thermal design, someone who's really good at propulsion, and you have spacecraft resources that are shared across the spacecraft. And mm-hmm. so you basically have to 
to compromise between subsystems so that you're that you can achieve your goals, right? Uh-huh. So that's generally what a systems engineer does. What I do at JPL kind of tends to vary. Um, so when I worked on Marco, for example, it was a lot more hands-on. So I was in lab a lot doing the testing. Um, on ARM, I'm the mission planner, which is a really cool name. Nice. <laughs> yeah. but, um, but what I get to do is basically, the best way to explain it is if you go on a long road trip, um, you want to plan, you know, and then you need to get somewhere at a certain time. You're going to plan, okay, where are you going to stop? How much fuel you're going to have? How much food you're going to bring? All of that stuff, right? Okay. By the way, that's how a uh, NASA person plans a road trip. I just drive till I get tired and hope well, that I... <laughs> okay, if you like, Buy some corn nuts when you get hungry. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this is why we don't let you guys plan all space. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So there we go. So that's, that's kind of like the idea. Why does right? the that... mission plan include peeing in a cup? Like, I don't know. <laughs> So, um, so, well, it really yeah. does, though, wouldn't it? I mean, that's <laughs> does, what space yeah. missions involve. Yeah. But, so, then, yeah, my job is to basically lay out the timeline and make sure that our usable resources don't get used up. Um, so, and then I also work on a bunch of proposals. So, NASA has like two ways of doing missions, um, or at least JPL does. Um, some of them are uh, what we call directed missions. Mm-hmm. So, basically, it gets written into law, like literally. Um, and so, Congress will be like, hey, JPL, you're going to build a mission to go to Europa, and then we'll do it. And, of course, they don't come up with that on their own. We tell them, and then right. it you know, comes back around. So there's, a yeah. lot of, there's actually a lot of lobbying that happens to, to educate congressmen as to like, you know, what, um, what makes sense to do. Um, so, for example, the Europa mission that JPL is working on right now, that's a directed mission. And then we have competed missions where headquarters, under the order of Congress again, will say, like, hey, guys, we have like X amount of money to do this type of science, propose missions, and anyone can propose. Um, so I'm working on a New Frontiers mission, which um, OSIRIS-REx is one of them. New Horizons was a New Frontiers mission. So that's about, they give you about $850 million. Um, and they're like, and in that case, it's very specific targets. Um, so I'm working on an Enceladus mission. Um, a what mission? Enceladus. Um, it's one of the moons of Saturn. Oh, okay. It's like my favorite moon because I can say that because I work at JPL. <laughs> yes. um, and so this is really cool. It, um, what is it about it that makes it your favorite moon? Um, because it's probably one of the best astrobiology targets um, in the solar system right now. So a little bit like Europa, it has a global ocean, except that for Enceladus, we actually have proof that there's a global ocean. And then it's covered um, by an ice shell. So it essentially looks like a snowball. It's fairly small. Um, but water, the, water ice? Oh. Uh, but the really cool thing is that at the South Pole of Enceladus, there's um, cracks um, and there's essentially geysers. We call them jets, but there's just water spewing out out of Enceladus all the time. And it, huh. the reason why there's water spewing out is because as it goes around, it suffers from like tidal flexing from Saturn. Right. Um, so that causes the, the crust to sort of move. But that also provides energy within the ocean. And then they, they think there's a core, and so that means that there's energy being circulated throughout the ocean. And so those are really good, I guess. Um, so water and energy are basically the, like, the ingredients for life as we know it. And so that's, the, that's what NASA's goal, right, is to find life in, in the solar system. And so that, those are two really good things. And the fact that the water is just coming out of the South Pole means that we don't have to dig through the crust or anything. We can literally just go there, pick up some water, and then look at it and see if there's anything in it. 
So that's the goal. Wow. Yeah. So, so what's the timeline of that mission? Uh, well, if we get selected, so that right now it's in proposal phase. So right. it's just JPL is working on an, a proposal and it's going to go to NASA. Um, if they pick it, we would be launching sometime in 2020. Four. Um, the problem is usually to get to Saturn, we can. So when Cassini, for example, went to Saturn, Cassini's still there actually. Um, it used Jupiter to slingshot itself, right? Mm-hmm. We call that a gravity assist, um, where you essentially steal a little bit of energy from Jupiter to bend your um, to bend your trajectory and accelerate. Right. Um, so actually, we talked about that a bit on the New Horizons. Yeah. 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 Um, Episode. Yeah, so and it speeds up your trajectory. But the problem is, if you the the last chance to do that to get to Saturn was this year, and then it doesn't come again for another like seventeen years or something. Ugh. So Jupiter just isn't in the right place anymore. So we're going to you know the, then the types of trajectories you're looking at is you'll use Venus and Mars to accelerate yourself or Earth. You can actually Juno used Earth right as a gravity assist, uh-huh. um, but then it takes like nine years to get there. Which is long, and this would be sorry, I'm dumb. Uh, trying to land on that moon, or just get no, close enough to take? We'll just, okay. just get close enough. We don't need to land, right? That's the advantage of going to to Enceladus. So how high, how high are these water spouts? These? Um, so I think they're about. They'll go to about a hundred to two hundred meters, maybe. But we're flying. Oh no, sorry, kilometers. Um, but we're, we'd be flying, you know, at around 50 kilometers. So so the water is actually shooting up over 100 kilometers. Yeah. Holy yeah. crap. It's about, the you know, and there's blue models, but if we're flying at 50, because I believe that's like an area where we know there'll be enough density. And obviously it kind of diffuses, right? So you could possibly pick up water anywhere else. It'll just keep going. Right. right? It's just it's, this spray. Because there's no atmosphere, right? So, oh, and then okay. the gravity is so low that yes, some of it will snow back. It'll actually snow, so it'll snow back down. Oh. But some of it, if it's accelerated, will just keep going. So, if you're just sort of flying anywhere vaguely near it with some kind of catching device, yeah, you want to be. So you want to be. You, you have to be close enough, and you yeah. have to target well enough because otherwise, you don't get enough of a sample to be able to analyze it. Right. Um, and for example, Cassini has flown fairly close. Uh, it's flown through the South Pole at about fifty kilometers. It's flown closer to Enceladus and other places. The problem with Cassini is that it's the one that discovered the plumes, so it didn't really know that it was going to be there. It didn't have the right instruments. Yeah, yeah. It's so, actually good samples. Or so anything. it does have a mass spectrometer, which is what we'd be using to look at the plumes. But the problem is that the Cassini mass spectrometer was not optimized for Enceladus. It was more looking at Titan. Uh, Titan's cool, but whatever. But it came within 50 kilometers of the surface, you oh, said? Yeah, because yeah, we, th- we know the ephemeris well enough. So I thought we couldn't... Like with the Pluto mission, I thought it was like the variance of how close it might get were like so vast. Well, so you have to understand that with Pluto, first off, we were doing a flyby, so the relative velocity was a lot faster. And then also, we don't have very good knowledge of where Pluto was, right? So we don't have good knowledge of, of its trajectory. Okay. Because Pluto is so, so much further away. Yeah. I mean, we can see it and observe it and and define its trajectory from that. But... Um, but because of the nature of the trajectory, it was just it, the targeting was slightly yeah, different, yeah. and they didn't want to be as close because because of the speed they're going at. Being a little bit farther away means that you can your your view of the this planet right means that you can get a more global view. So you don't want to be super close, right? right. Uh, but with Cassini, it's been there for years now, and so it actually it knows very very well where the planets are, where the moons are. Okay. Um, and so it's able to do much closer flybys, and because Enceladus doesn't have an atmosphere. There's not much risk to... Yeah. 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 So, uh, but actually the sad thing is 
Cassini's mission is going to end next year um, in 2017. And it's actually going to do a deep dive into Saturn. And the reason why we do that is because and we did that with Galileo at Jupiter, too, is because if we were just to decommission a spacecraft, there's a chance that it could impact on, say, Titan or Enceladus. Um, and there's something called planetary protection. Oh, yeah. I was going um, to guess that's the reason. So, so, so the idea is... Is that exactly what it sounds like? Yeah. So, I, and it works both ways, which is like really weird, because sometimes I have these conversations at work. But um, So the idea is if you're going to go somewhere where that could, that could sustain life, right, um, you don't want to infect it with Earth bacteria, uh, because otherwise right. you could either destroy an ecosystem or you could bring life somewhere and then never know whether it was already there or whether you've messed it up, right? Mm-hmm. So there's rules about different... Um, so different moons and different um, planets will have different categorizations and even different areas of different planets. Uh, so, for example, parts of Mars have different categorizations than others. Um, and it, that defines how clean you have to be. And Cassini is not clean enough to impact on Enceladus and and you know potentially destroy because at the point at which cassini was set up sent up it had been handled by humans and had gone through the human the earth atmosphere yeah well and not just that but it's the fact that we didn't keep it that clean because we didn't need to we kept it to a certain level of cleanliness right um but if you're really going to try to um you know if you're really if you're going to land so for example with europa they're thinking of doing a Europa lander. And so that lander has to be super clean because it's going to be looking for signs of life so you don't want to infect it. Like reverse quarantine before it goes sort of. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And then another mission that JPL is working on in the future, right, is a Mars sample return mission. And that's a whole new world of planetary protection because not only do you not want to put Earth bacteria in the samples that you're taking from Mars, but then there's also the risk that Mars has something that could affect humans. Because we actually worry about that. But, but what are right. the chances? That, I mean, like, <laughs> that, it's no, but it's so... actually it's it. There's there's a realistic chance, right? Because we know that Mars could have sustained life in the past, mm-hmm. and as we're learning more and more about biology, like, we're finding life in places we wouldn't expect that to be life. Um, so they do actually have to be vague. like places on Earth that we wouldn't expect yeah. to be life. Yeah. And so you could use the same analogy in space, right? So, so, I mean. Yeah, we don't worry about it that much, but we do have to worry about it. And it is part of like, yeah. the, the, the space laws, right? And so we have to prove that even if that capsule was to come back to Earth and crash, it's not going to just open up and like, infect right. anyone. Right. Well, I remember the footage of the Apollo astronauts being in quarantine <laughs> when they yeah. came. The moon's pretty dead, though. Like, right. That's for sure. Like, if you bring stuff back from the moon, you can just, yeah, it's fine. Um, so what else are we considering landing on? Uh, well, so there's a lot of proposals out there, right? Mm-hmm. So, it, for example, the Osiris mission is a proposal. NASA's not, you know, committing to funding it or anything. It's just us. Osiris Rex is not Osiris Rex is flying. So that one was oh, a proposal, oh. but it got selected. So that's kind of landing. Uh, people have talked about doing Venus landers. Um, and so there's another proposal out there to do that. So it turns out NASA's not really good at landing on Venus. Uh, the Russians have done it a lot. Wait, they have? Oh, yeah. So why do we I always forget these things? Are so, 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 what is Russia... so the Russians have Venus and we have Mars. Well, the Americans have Mars. But... So what is what is Russia doing with Venus that America is failing on? What's the difference between? Apparently that, I mean, they can get down, because the problem on Venus, it's really hot and the pressure is really high. And I think during the Cold War, when, when, you know, when we were deciding which targets, Russia was like, we're going to do Venus. 
And, and Venus is really interesting because it's about the same size as the Earth. It's actually, like, they call it Earth twin. And they think that once upon a time it might have looked like the Earth. And then it suffered from something called a runaway greenhouse effect. So that's how it got really hot. Um, okay. So, so that's why it's an interesting target. Is it, um, its atmosphere is, is it sulfurous? Its atmosphere? Oh, now you're going beyond what okay. I know. I don't know. Google will know. Uh, but also, so but surely also Venus is so much hotter just because it's so much closer to the sun. Yeah, it's not that much closer, but yes, part of it. Well, yes, but the the real reason why it's so much hotter is because of the runaway greenhouse effect. Okay. Yeah, because it's a little closer, but not like not enough to explain the high heat yeah. pressures um okay uh so so cassini is gonna crash uh yeah, it's well, gonna purposefully purposefully crash into saturn which we're sure is dead so it doesn't matter yeah 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 so, so well it's, it's saturn's or it's not gaseous right? yeah. yeah yeah so basically it'll just like get destroyed from that yeah so how but it still has another year of science how long into that process will you still be able to take measurements because presumably as it's nose diving into well, Saturn they don't you, know they... they don't know right and so that's part of the, one of the things we'll do so the, the rest of the mission now like and it, I think they've done they've finished a, the, the tour of the moons I think they did that last Enceladus flyby and now they're going to do ring science so they're actually going to flip their orbit to be like almost a polar orbit and go within the rings which is really cool oh cool and then eventually that orbit will just de- uh, like degrade and then We'll we'll do a burn to just go through the atmosphere. I'm sure people have an idea of how long the spacecraft will survive, but part of what we'll learn is we'll get an idea for that what the atmosphere looks like. Oh, you know, just from when we probably from radio science and when we stop being able to talk to it. What's what's causing the timing of when they're gonna end that mission? Is that just like funding's run out, or is that just like, or is it fuel's about to run out, out of fuel? Yeah, okay. fuel's running out. So Cassini was meant to end. Like with every mission, um, usually we'll propose a prime mission time. So, for example, for MSL, the rover that we have on Mars, Mm -hmm. one of the many, um, the prime mission for that was two Earth years, one Mars year, and it's been much longer than that now. So usually they'll get extended, right? Opportunity was a 90-day mission, and it's been there for 10 years. Um, So usually we will extend missions for as long as we can, and usually the reason, at least for orbiting spacecraft, we'll, we'll run out of fuel eventually. Uh, for rovers, they break. They run out of power. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But, they just get hit by something, or yeah. Well, with Spirit and Opportunity, Spirit got stuck right in a sandstorm, and then got covered with sand, and then didn't have power anymore. And then it was stuck for a while. One of its wheels was broken. Um, Opportunity's still going. Um, and then with MSL or Curiosity, um, it's still doing pretty well. It's Aren't using, the wheels having problems. Yeah. Or? So that's the issue, but. But they've been able to replicate a lot of the damages that are happening mm-hmm. on Earth so that we can sort of avoid some of them. Um, the difference with um, MSL or Curiosity is that it's using uh, radio isotopes, so it's using nuclear power rather than solar. Mm-hmm. Um, so that does also decay over time. So, um, so but, but it could easily have a few, few more years in it. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I think um, I wasn't there for it, but I think you guys let uh, How to Build Everything shoot the other oh. lander that's the, the one you have on Earth. That's like the closest approximation of the one. Oh, yeah. 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 We have one. Didn't you see it when you came? Uh, I saw the one that was just like uh, the, the bones model? of it. it just, yeah, oh, it wasn't like. You didn't see the one that's like the engineering model. Yeah, yeah we do yeah. have one that's like the exact same replica except from the radio acetopes, and then uh-huh. we use that. Um, operations planning so that basically if you're trying to work out what's happening on Mars yeah. you've got the exact in that 
there's always yeah the equivalent here that you can kind of tinker with and see Mm -hmm. yeah so there's always an exact replica um so even for spirit and opportunity we have an engineering model that sits and we have a couple of mars yards um when that's outside and what's inside and for example when spirit got stuck in in the sand they took the engineering model out replicated what was going on and then figured out the solution tested it on earth and then did it on mars what was what was that solution was that before I was born, maybe not. <laughs> I don't know. I wasn't that yet. Um, okay. I I don't know. It was probably a, a set of you know, the, a set of maneuvers or yeah, a set of, yeah. So that makes sense. So they can so they just sort of as accurate as possible replicate what's going on Mars mm-hmm. on Earth, and yeah. then they just try different things in the Earth version to see which of them gives the best chance of it working. Yeah. So with every spacecraft, what we'll do, and it's not just for rovers, we have test beds on Earth, and usually mm-hmm. there's at least two, and there's one that's always running ahead of what's happening in space. So we'll have just a test bed that's always running. We'll send the commands to it before we send it to the spacecraft. So if there's an issue with like the software or the commands, we'll know because it'll hit that error before we do in space. Uh. So we always have a, a test bed that's running continuously for that, and then we'll have another one for testing. Cool. Yeah. What was the purpose of that? So the mass model didn't have any components inside. It was just the shape and yeah, size. Yeah, so the of... idea is that it has the same weight yeah. as as Curiosity does. And so when we're testing, um, going over different terrains, um, using that makes more sense because it can have the same mass properties as Curiosity does. Oh, so when, you say, this, when you say it has the same weight, you mean the mass of that one is scaled up yeah, to account for the difference in yes. gravity between the two planets? Correct. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, Okay. The same yeah, weight. yeah. Um, so that's how. So that thing weighs on Earth what the other one will weigh on Mars. Mm-hmm. And then they place the masses so that the center of mass is in the same place and the moments of inertia are the same. So that if you're going over a terrain and you want to check like that it's not going to flip over, you can do that. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, that was really cool. I, are any of those, I, I don't want to like entice listeners with a thing they can't do. Like when you showed us around, are th- is that a thing that anybody could do if they signed up in advance? And um, see, yeah, so I don't know. So when they do the, so on Mondays they do open tours to the public i've never taken them um but they do get to see quite a lot of jpl um and then it depends on what's being in use usually with mm-hmm. stuff in the mars yard but when we have open house which now i think they're going to do every six months rather than every year okay um we have everything out i mean i i usually volunteer at open house but i'll go around and see stuff because there's stuff that comes out of wherever they store these things mm-hmm. um but yeah it's pretty You're great like, so why then, don't i get to see this when i work in this place <laughs> yeah so then they'll drive around the rovers they do this thing where they take one of the smaller rovers and they like, drive it over kids oh, <laughs> that's legal um and they'll have like all the spacecraft models out so that's it's really worth going to actually nice um, and have we talked much about jpl in general as an entity on, on the podcast like its history we haven't really. I, I didn't know much about it until i took the tour also that, that, that was pretty interesting yeah we should probably explain like what is the difference between jpl and nasa as an entity okay so we are ffrdc which is a friendly federally funded research and development center um so uh the idea is jpl came out of caltech right so it was a bunch of students at Caltech um, who started doing, you know, experimenting with rockets. So that's actually, you know, JPL's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. We don't build rockets anymore, but that is actually our past. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they started off at Caltech, and I guess they blew things up a couple of times, <laughs> and Caltech was like, you know, proper Pasadena. And they were like, there's no way you can do this here. Like, you're going to kill someone. And so they had this land out in the Arroyo, which is how JPL got started, um, and like the first director of JPL was a Caltech professor, um, and then one of his students became the next director, for example. Um, and so that's at JPL. We originally, 
when was this? It was like after the Second World War, maybe in the 50s, 60s. Uh-huh. Um, and that's, we started doing a lot of the, uh, the propulsion testing, so the rocket testing. And they were trying to basically get a rocket into low Earth orbit. Um, and then the idea is that the Russians beat us to it, right? Sputnik. And then the Air Force was really, the US was originally during the Cold War looking at the Air Force to launch the first satellite. I guess they failed a couple of times, and in the end, and JPL was like, no, we can do it, we can do it. And eventually, um, NASA was, well, the government was like, okay, JPL, why don't you do this? Um, Interestingly enough, the reason why JPL was able to do this was because of Warner von Braun, who was a German Nazi. Um, So we actually got a lot of that expertise from them. It all came from the ICBM projects. Um, And then we launched the first um, satellite in space, right, Explorer. Right. Um, so that's the um, that's the history of JPL. I can't tell you for sure when it became part of NASA. It wasn't like part of the original NASA centers, but it became part of NASA. And now, but it's always had this history with Caltech. Um, and I think it, it's never been an official NASA center. So the idea is the buildings at JPL are government buildings. So it is a NASA center in terms of like, that belongs to the government, but all the employees, I'm a Caltech employee. So I have a government badge and I'm a government contractor, but I'm not a civil servant. Like my paycheck comes from Caltech. Did you have to get clearance though and get background checks and stuff? Uh, to some extent. So I'm not American. Um, so I I have like a little bit more limited access. But mm-hmm. when to get your government badge, they do do a background check, and it's it's fairly new actually. They didn't used to do that, and then all the data got stolen. Um, there was like that OPM thing. No, I didn't hear about what. Oh, I guess like someone hacked into the the government servers a few years back and all our data is now public. Somewhere. Really? Yeah, That's it's pretty, pretty scary. Big, uh... Including our fingerprints. And no. it was like, it was really weird because we got this email saying like, because they take your fingerprints. It's pretty extensive. You don't do like a lie detector test or anything, but they do yeah. do a background check. Um, Aren't lie detector tests bullshit though? Haven't they sort of been proven to be well, they're know. very, they're kind of pseudoscientific. If you want to get a security clearance, though, like to to the next, you know, like a secret clearance, oh, yeah. you have to go through a lie detector test. Really? Yeah, and apparently, like some, I guess they've become pretty good at figuring out. I don't know, but um, or maybe if it's just going off the charts, like okay, this is worth investigating some more or something. Yeah, or, I'm know. not sure, but they do ask really weird questions. Apparently, and people will fail them, and it's it's weird. Oh. But, but yeah, they do take your fingerprints, and then when that breach um, happened, we all got a letter, and they're like, oh, by the way, your fingerprints are all the, out there. And then it said something like, as of now, we don't really know that anyone can do anything bad with them, but like, we'll let you know. <laughs> yeah. It's like, thanks. You know, as, as society moves more and more towards biometric security, then the, yeah. you, the thing that you have no... That's what always gets me about fingerprint... Like, people assuming fingerprint is, is better than passwords, but... Why would you want your password to be the thing that you cannot change? Like, I think you can't... Yeah. Like, if your password gets compromised, it's a pain in the ass, but you change all your passwords. But if something that is just a genetic part of you gets breached, yeah. then you just... Can- and I guess as of now, like, it's not really something we can duplicate that easily. And so that's why uh-huh. I, I think, don't know. I saw but- this Mission Impossible, and yeah. uh, it seems like it's pretty <laughs> and easy. And that was 20 years ago. Yeah, so. all you yeah. need is for someone to touch a cup, and then you just send it to the lab, and yeah. you get it made out sure, of, like, a... fake fingertips for you. That's, yeah. yeah, that's how it works. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and, and also, like, they need they print the irises. Yeah. You, you, <laughs> put, you put the contact lenses in, and then you can get into the vault. Oh, yeah, sure. Have, have you seen Batman versus Superman? I have not. Oh, God, it's awful. I but th- that's, a, that's a plot point in it, is Lex Luthor does that with General Zod. I'm like, what? That's that's all it takes to uh, to trick this, this brilliant alien species. It's so dumb. I mean, that's like the 
least of all the thousand problems with it. But anyway, <laughs> speaking of aliens. That, like why you took the time to go see it. I didn't. I downloaded it because I'm like, I'm not going to give visionary director Zack Snyder my money, uh, but I will watch will it on watch an airplane. It. But it, it took me four, four attempts to finish that movie. It's so bad. It's so not fun. Oh, well, speaking of shitty movies, yeah, so the asteroid thing is basically the plot of Armageddon, isn't sort it? Sort of, kind of, yeah. <laughs> like, that's what they were trying to do, yeah. just with a different yeah. technique. Yeah, I like to say that I'm female Bruce Willis. Right, exactly. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I actually thought that the second we walked in before I had any of the asteroid <laughs> stuff. I was already like, yeah, that's kind of female Bruce Willis. For the- <laughs> sure, I'll take that as a compliment. You but- should, he's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, That's what I mean, like, that's like how I rank people. Okay. How like, Bruce Willis-y are you? Yeah, yeah, how Bruce Willis-y. Yeah. Okay. Like, man, I'll take that... That waiter was such a Bruce Willis. <laughs> like he was so good. Okay. But I still didn't understand in in that uh, in the arm mission. So the the smaller boulder we're going to put into orbit around the moon and uh-huh. then come back to it. And the, but the point is to make the larger one move to show we could make a large one yeah. move. Yeah, and you said there's a bunch of ways we could do it. What's the actual way we're going to? So do we're going to use a gravity tractor. So that's the way that arm is using. Right. So we're using the mass of the spacecraft and the boulder to deflect like, it. Like, like how though? Well, it has to do with like Newton's laws of attraction, right? So like you're basically, it's it's gravity. Yeah. So you're pulling it towards you, like literally. So you, you literally, you just... Like two you, bodies you just... always have force attracting each right. other, right? But if you don't really see it typically because you're so much smaller than anything else you could attract, right? So you move, you just move this boulder so that instead of being on the surface of the asteroid, it's slightly it's like to one slightly side. off, yeah. And then we stay there and then that pulls the asteroid. So the actual thing that separates that bowler uh-huh. separates it and then pushes off from it using uh-huh. just the thrusters well, on the or, yeah uh, so the space the whole spacecraft comes down grabs a boulder comes back out using the thrusters right okay and then it hangs out and secures things and then comes back close to the asteroid and just sits there like st- well stands there i guess it's just in space next to it and it maintains it it maintains a separation mm-hmm. um and so it has to thrust to do that because obviously it's attracted towards it'll be attracted towards the asteroid Right, um, but from that, that will do. It's a very, very small deflection. Yeah. In fact, we don't see it straight away. Like when we leave the asteroid, we'll have no evidence um, that it actually changed trajectory. It takes a little while for that. Once the orbit evolves, then you can start seeing that magnitude. And so we'll do tracking from the Earth to see that. Okay. And it's just the tiniest pull on one side over a very, very long period of time. Yeah. So we'll be there for about a. Currently, the baseline is to stay there for about a month. Uh-huh. Um. 40 days, something like that. I don't, and then the closer you are, obviously, the stronger the attraction is. But um, so we'll, and then. But that'll be just enough to change its trajectory a by force. a fraction of a degree. Mm-hmm. And then over the prolonged trajectory of that asteroid, yeah. that actually makes quite a big difference in terms of where it ends yeah. up in space. Yeah, because by the time when we're there, we'll be able to evaluate its current trajectory really well. And so then we'll know, we'll, we'll be able to measure the deviation, hopefully. So there's a tiny bit of thrust going the whole time to keep it from falling back into yeah. the asteroid, mm-hmm. and that in turn is pulling that asteroid towards it yeah, slightly. Yeah, it's not the thrust, but it's the mass. The, of the mass of being near it, right? Mm-hmm. So if you just pushed off from it, wouldn't the second law also just push the bigger one? But that 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 single push wouldn't be enough to change it's it much. It's not enough. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, because the the asteroid itself is fairly big. How much bigger than the boulder is, or what's the mass of the um, asteroid? Um. So I think it's 500 meter in diameter. Oh, okay. The one that we're looking at right now, it could be a lot bigger. And then um, that's like six meters in diameter is the boulder that's... Yeah, something. Okay. So it's an order, two orders of magnitude smaller. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. 
I think I can picture how that would work. It's like basic physics, but it's yeah. weird that it works. Right, right. Because it's, it's like, what the hell? Such a tiny Basic thing. physics and, and really basic geometry. Yes. It's, yeah. It's crazy. But it works. That's awesome. So then after it does that for a month, then the little one will, will, will yeah. go farther away and somehow get into moon orbit. And yeah. So we'll come back towards Earth the same way as we went. So this, with the spacecraft, right? So awesome. again, just very gradually with these ion thrusters. Yeah. Yeah. So it takes about... It takes a little bit longer to come back because now you're heavier and the way the phasing works out and then so. then we'll stay in this stable lunar orbit so there's no way it could impact Earth um, and then it stays the spacecraft and the boulder stay together forever because um, we'll drill into it and then they stay together so mm-hmm. we don't so that's just one entity now. Now it's a spacecraft with a boulder. Yeah. And then, slowly like orbiting the moon. Yeah. And then Orion, which is the astronaut capsule, looks a lot like the Apollo capsule, will launch and then it'll dock with our spacecraft. So we have a docking ring oh, okay. and they'll dock onto it. And then the astronauts, you know, will hang out and then they'll come out and then like they'll climb onto our spacecraft and then go mine the asteroid and there isn't actually anything we want we just want to show we can mine things if we put them in orbit around the yeah moon, so the of. idea is it's a stepping stone towards going to mars so all of this actually as crazy as arm stands it's actually a stepping stone to mars mm-hmm. um so there's different a little bit like when we did apollo we didn't just go land on the on the moon straight away right there was like the gemini and the mercury projects before and then even with apollo apollo 8 did a silsalino flyby and so now that we're sending humans back to deep space, we're taking those steps, right? So there right. will be like, there's an EM-1 mission, which will be on crewed mission that's due like in 2018. And then there'll be EM-2 where they're going to do a cis-lunar flyby the same way as Apollo did. And oh. then, and then... These are all, these are all uh, definitely happening budget-wise? Like uh, oh, don't quote me on that. Okay. But yeah, I think I, I, I think didn't realize. So. Okay, that's great. Um, at least if the budget continues the way it is. Um, and then this mission will be... Okay, so on the astronaut side, it gives them an opportunity to actually go out, practice EVAs, practice communication farther than like farther than we've ever been before, right? Because this lunar orbit is much like it's much bigger than the Apollo orbit, so we'll end up much farther from the Earth. Um, okay, why is that? Why is that? Sorry. Oh, it's just not as close. To, so the Apollo orbit was fairly close to the to the Moon, but it wasn't a stable orbit. We're in a, this longer orbit around the Moon. So oh, okay, okay. It's just, it's just higher. Um, so it's so when it's way. on the far side of the moon, it'll be further than any human has ever been from yes. the Earth. Yeah. And so we're practicing deep space operations because right now all we've been doing as of now is ISS, which is a lot closer. There's no light time delay, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very different what is, environment. What is the delay of communication with ISS? It's mi- is it minimal? Oh, it's less than seconds. Yeah, it's really small. Okay. It's only 300 kilometers away. Oh, um, and what would it, even just to the moon, what's the delay? Of uh, it's a few seconds, I think, but oh, it's okay. still annoying. You can't really talk uh, yeah. without being annoyed. Well, it's like if you ever listen to the Apollo um, tapes, um, you can hear it. Like they'll they'll pause, but it's a short pause. But yeah, it's, it's still there. annoying. Um, but arm itself is actually also the reason why we're doing this. You know, it's all great to do this, but the idea is that um, in order to go to Mars, you know, we're going to bring humans there, but we also need to bring cargo. Right, and so. It's, High power solar electric propulsion is probably actually the only way we'll be able to do that, right? Because you're thinking like, yeah, we're grabbing this five ton boulder and there's this spacecraft, but if we're able to move five ton around, that five ton could be five ton of anything. And then you could scale up, right? So that could be a habitat, that could be water, building materials. So it's really, again, it's a stepping stone in technology of operating these spacecraft. Really, And it's a technology demonstration mission. It's not a science mission. So Mm -hmm. we're demonstrating those high power thrusters and once we can show that they work, then we'll be able to scale it up, have more thrusters, and carry 
really big masses to Mars. And potentially also presumably find out if there are any problems if it doesn't work. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, you said those are a, what kind of thrusters again? Those are not the ion thrusters. They are. They're hull oh. thrusters. But, oh, okay. Um, there's different types of ion thrusters. I okay. Guess, but. Uh, so once you've got that, so that mission that's going to send astronauts to mine that ast- to mine that boulder around the moon, is there a plan also to then land on the moon, or is it just are they just going to stay in that orbit around? No, the moon? right now, right now the plan is for that mission. We're just going to the to, we're docking with um, with the ARV, which is uh, with ARM, and then doing that doing yeah. two EVAs, which is when they go out of the capsule and do that thing. That w- that would and still make them. Back. Am I right? That would still be the first, uh, apart from the moon, the first non-Earth yeah, body that astronauts just, yeah. have touched. And then the question on. is, do you call it a planetary body because it's just a piece of rock from right, a bigger body? Right. And so, like, I mean, yeah. that's a philosoph- philosophical question. Originally, one of the instantiations of ARM, we were going to grab a whole asteroid and bring it back. It was going to be a smaller asteroid. And that would have been true. In this case, who knows? Um, but that's more it's of a cool. semantic question. I mean, it's semantics, yeah. yeah but yeah. you can still say it's, it's pretty cool. You stepped on a space rock in space. That's, yep. Yeah. But I currently, the plan is not to go back to the moon. That could change. Um, NASA changes their mind. But right now, the plan is that's a stepping stone. And the next missions would be maybe, you know, like, people have talked about going to Phobos and Deimos, which are the, the moons of Mars. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to go to the moon uh, to, to Mars, sorry. And the idea why is. Would, why would you want to go to the moons of Mars before you went to Mars? Uh, it's a lot easier to land on them. Or dock with them because the gravity you don't have to go down the gravity well of Mars and back out again right. so one of the issues is landing on Mars is really difficult especially if you're doing high masses and then taking off again means that you have to have the fuel with you how does the gra- what is the difference in the gravity of Mars and Earth I think it's a third Mars is a third of the yeah. mass of Earth yeah it's a lot smaller but so, but that still means that to still a lot to take off from unlike taking off from the moon where you could have relatively low f- thrust mm-hmm. you'd need a rocket that's a third of the size of a rocket that gets you off Earth yeah. to get you off Mars. Yeah. Back. And you're bringing less with you, but yeah, you'll leave stuff in orbit. But yes, it's it's fairly fairly big. Yeah, you saw that documentary, The Martian, with Matt Damon, when he went to the I moon? I did see that. By yes. the way, that thing falling over, not true, but okay. What, sure. what fell over? What, the, the, you know, at the beginning when the map falls over, like, that can't happen. But Wait, what? Know. No, what? I don't remember. Which... What the Martian? Fell, he fell over. The whole point of the movie is that, like, you know how they, they have the ascent vehicle and then there's a big storm? Yeah. And then, like, it's about to tip over, so they have to launch. Well, that was why they had to, Oh, I forgot that was the reason they had to. Yeah. And that couldn't... Is there not enough, not no. enough atmosphere to yeah. blow it over? The, that, yeah, the, the storms aren't that strong. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. You heard it here first. The Martian couldn't happen. It's not but, real. But the sum of it was okay also there's no... <laughs> well, they have that whole argument about, like, oh, there's, like, so much atmosphere that it'll, like push it over but then at the end like he has a piece of tarp and it's like at least be consistent oh, within right. the movie and like, yeah. you choose one or the other <laughs> it didn't matter that there was like a skylight as he's taking off because there was so little yeah, yeah. I, I so, about that. also like in re- there'd be no way you'd be able to get insurance to have Matt Damon be on a Mars mission because <laughs> yeah, clearly so that's the that's the problem so it, yeah he's a movie star and you just wouldn't be able it to it doesn't make sense yeah I would have just <laughs> sent up someone who's just not as famous yeah yeah, you heard sure. okay. That was well, the problem. Straight from the horse's mouth, Martian's bullshit. Did you read the book, by the way? Yeah. You didn't think yeah. that was any better than the no, movie? It, it's, or... So a lot of things are good, yeah. right? And I think most GPLers would agree it's it, it's good, right? And the great thing is that it's bringing space out into the public, and that's that's what we do, right? Like part of NASA's mission is not only doing science and discovering cool stuff; it's also public outreach. Like that's part of our charter. Yeah. Um, and so. 
I think anyone who walks in space, whenever there's anything vaguely space related, even if it's completely bullshit, we're happy about it. And the Martian actually does a fairly good job. There's just a few key things that you're like, ah, yeah. yeah. So annoyingly, when I read the Martian, I was like, oh, that is not going to work. And but you know, you try and shut off that part of your brain. Stuff that bugged me was just they never got into like the nothing ever got him down like I wanted to get more into like the human side of what that does to your psyche after yeah, like a year like or more in the book they spend a little bit more time of like him being depressed he just so. he never got like really I don't know they never Crazy. talked once about masturbation like I'm like well, how is that not because <laughs> it's a like it's a PG movie right? <laughs> no in the book though I mean, he, he was writing it as like a blog right it wasn't even written yeah. as a book it was like entry by entry and like that never occurred to you to think about like well, the well, human you're side gonna, of, you're gonna write about that like I would write about what it does to I mean it's such a more interesting story to like look at that part of it and the engineering it was just purely engineering like he had yeah, no but he's an humanity engineer. like we don't we don't care about human things yes. yeah, engineers if you him. go to uh, probablyscience.com uh, Andy will post up his version of yeah. the book <laughs> which is it's just a little more, it's a little more uh, after hours. It's, it's just little... <laughs> endless descriptions of jerking off. The Martian. Almost no sign. In fact, Mars isn't even really mentioned, is no, it? It's, it's an afterthought. This... It's really not that important. Yeah. It starts off, I never thought this would happen to me. Um, <laughs> penthouse forum Martian. <laughs> I didn't mean to bring it into the into the into the gutter, guys. Well, oh, welcome guys. to property science. Yeah. That's how the show always ends up. We were having yeah. such a proper conversation. I know we were really then, like getting you know. some real science out there, and then it had to turn to this. Um, well, that's amazing. I didn't know that you were working on. Uh, I don't think we talked much about ARM when I took the tour. So that's. So I think cool. I only just started on it, and I yeah. just changed roles recently. So. So is there any way that, uh, what are the things among all these projects that listeners could go look up and learn more about right now? Or are they all online? Uh, yeah, I can give you, Arm has its own website. There's a bunch yeah. of videos and stuff. Um, so I can give you guys the links. Cool. Um, general other New Frontiers missions, there's a, um, JPL has, or maybe it's NASA, has like a solar system page where it has like all the planets and then you can go look at what's up with them and what um, what missions we have had or have there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with Marco, we probably have a couple of things out there um, on CubeSats in general. And the Marco mission, by the way, was meant to, um, that's a CubeSat we were talking about earlier, was meant to co-launch with InSight, which is going to be a Mars lander um, that was meant to launch in March of 2016, so a few months ago, mm-hmm. um, there was an issue with an instrument, so they delayed the launch. So now it's going to launch in May of 2018. Is that the one that doesn't move and it's just going to dig deep yeah. into... Uh... Yeah, so it's going to listen to earthquakes on Mars or Mars quakes or whatever. Oh, cool. Um, oh, yeah, there wouldn't be earthquakes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and then it's just because of the way the planets align, you can only launch to Mars every two years. And so... Okay. You have to wait to 2018. So Marco will go with it then. Sweet. Do you have your own like Twitter account and social media presence? No, <laughs> I have Instagram, but that's a, I post pictures of space. But, um, well, then listeners who have Instagram, <laughs> what's your Instagram? Um, at Trifaratops. So it's T R I F A R A H T O P S. Go to that, awesome. listeners. Yeah, there's pictures of there's a lot of pictures of JPL. That's mostly all there is. That sounds like the kind of thing that people <laughs> who listen to the show would probably like. Yeah, yeah. And I just realized uh, just last week I didn't get a chance to see it yet, but um, the episode of How to Build Everything that had um, Adam Steltzner oh, cool. talking about the um, the Mars rover aired last week, so maybe you can catch that in reruns. Um, and that also has some footage shot at JPL, like we said, of the engineering. Oh yeah, model of- I remember when they were out there. Yep. So and I think uh, Adam's going to be on the podcast at some point, or he I he said so. he will at some point. So <laughs> it's, it's getting on his the time is probably hard. Yeah, <laughs> it seems like a busy guy. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, Farah. This is so much. I have to go back and listen to this again to uh, understand what I to process about. everything. <laughs> yeah.
No, I had no Am idea. Am I gonna about. get like text messages in the middle of the night, being like, "What is this about? <laughs> yeah. I don't how understand." <laughs> but uh, yeah, I had no idea about half of those missions. That's great. Um, oh, that's sort of heartening because I thought it was much more dire as far as funding for a lot of oh, things. Oh no, like actually, this. the like, past few years at JPL, especially and in aerospace, we've really seen it's like a revival of the amount of work we do. That's and awesome. And under President Trump, it's just going to keep getting better. You know, because well, we've got to conquer the that. moon. Right. We've got to conquer gonna space. It's going to be the best lander. It's going to be no lander as good as that lander. Yeah. yeah. Weirdly enough, the conservatives are a lot better for space than than the Democrats are. Really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. We usually, and as much as I hate it, yeah, but usually, and it's usually conservative um, senators and congressmen that will invest more money in space. Interesting. Why? Really why do you? Th- is that? It might have been because it came out of the Cold War. Now I think it's it more general, and it's also the priorities of why they invest that money. But like, I mean, NASA doesn't get that much money every year, right? We get mm-hmm. seventeen billion dollars, which seems like a lot, but it's well, because like- there's, there's elements of NASA that I would thought would really go against, since like NASA, for example is involved in the uh, climate change yeah. evidence and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, and actually the amount that goes towards earth science and then towards planetary science gets about a billion a year. So we do all of those missions on about a billion dollars a year, which is nothing. Um, and then earth science does about, it gets another billion and they, all the satellites out there that monitor your weather, that's all NASA. It's actually really cool what they do with, there's a, a website out there and they're going to publish all the data. Um, we have a few spacecraft around Earth, GPL missions too, that look at water and water distribution across the Earth. And they make that available to like farmers and um, city planners so that they actually know how water flows. Oh, cool. I, that, mm-hmm. that sounds like that's... Jay what, Family Eddie. Yeah, yeah Family we had Eddie. an episode with Jay Family Eddie who is right. at NASA and is the water expert. Go. And he was the one who first alerted... He wrote the op-ed in the LA Times that alerted everyone to the drought. Oh, cool. And yeah. that's all NASA work. Yeah. And like, for example, with El Nino this year, we'd seen it coming for a couple of years. So it was like a trend that was coming. So, yeah. That's awesome. That's very cool. Well, as always, any questions, comments, clarifications, you can email us, probablyscience at gmail.com. You can tweet us at probablyscience. Go to trifaratops on Instagram. <laughs> for some cool space pictures and uh, at probablyscience.com we've got the donation button if you want to help support the show we've also got our Amazon shopping link and please say nice things about us online spread the word tell your friends write nice reviews of us on iTunes and give us nice ratings because that really helps us out mm-hmm. uh, but thank you so much for joining us you're welcome Dr. Farah Albee it's a pleasure